Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Okay, you want a little confession? You want a little confession? We won't be in this sermon series forever, but I'm going to miss that music. Like you come walking up to that, you feel like a little adrenaline pumping. We're in this series called Sunday Drive. We're talking about kind of the, the practice of taking some time to slow down, look at our lives a little bit. We've been using the book of Ecclesiastes. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. The book of Ecclesiastes has kind of been our guide. And the premise behind this idea is that a Sunday drive slows you down enough to think about what drives you. And the title of today's message is How to Live a Better Life. Better's the key word here. How to Live a Better Life. If you remember, the book of Ecclesiastes was written by a, a wise king in the Old Testament. We, we believe that King Solomon, who was the king of Israel, that he wrote the truths, the wisdom that we come across in the book of Ecclesiastes. He refers to himself as the teacher. That's the title he kind of gives to himself all throughout this book of Ecclesiastes. And he's been giving us all kinds of wisdom. Now, this is important to recognize because we see that Solomon was the wisest person in history. He's the wisest person who ever lived. If you follow his life story, he did a lot of dumb stuff. But he's at the end of his life, we believe, as he's writing the book of Ecclesiastes. And he's looking back as an old man, and he's trying to give wisdom and insight to his younger readers, and he's saying to them, here's how to live. There's this particular, and we've kind of just been moving around through the book, but in chapter seven, he really stops and just gives a whole lot of wisdom to the people that he's talking to, like these, these little snippets, almost these little sound bites, these little wisdom phrases that he gives to them. Six times in the first 10 verses of Ecclesiastes chapter seven, he makes a comparison. So, so think about this, six times in the first 10 verses. So there's an emphasis here. And what he says is, this is better than that. In six of those verses, he makes this kind of comparison. He says, this is better than that. And this is better than that. And so he's saying, here's some choices that you can make that will be better for you. So I wanna look at those 10 verses today, those, those six th verses where he walks through in the first 10 about how we can live. And because of the comparisons he makes where he says one thing is better than another, I wanna talk today about how to live a better life. In fact, as we look at these, I want to offer you four rules for living a better life. As we look at what Solomon says here, four rules for living a better life. Now look, for all of us, it's good for us to take time to take a good look at our lives. Because no matter where you are in your life, no matter what season you're in, there's things you struggle with, there's choices that you're making. You're asking, what does it look like for me to be obedient to God today in the place where I am right now? Who am I responsible for? How can I live a better life? If you're, if you're young, you're probably in a, in a season of life where you're making a lot of choices and you're making a lot of decisions. You're trying to say, what does this look like? If you're in kind of the middle ages of your life, you're asking, what's, what's my life going to look like? How do I prepare for the future? What do I do with what I've already done in my life? And maybe for those of you that are in your senior years, you're asking, what kind of legacy will I leave? How do I make the most of the time that God has given to me? 
And so I think Solomon's gonna help us. He's gonna give to us four rules for living a better life. We're gonna cover a lot of stuff today. I would encourage you, even if you don't, don't always take notes, you might wanna jot down some of these scriptures, some of these thoughts that we're gonna look at today. We're gonna get a lot of wisdom from Solomon, the teacher, as we go through this. And here's the deal. We're gonna look at four rules for living a better life. Odds are all four won't apply to the situation you're in right now, but I'm pretty sure one will. And so before we're done with this service, I'm gonna ask you to consider and even pray about how do, how do I apply something that I've heard today to the life that I'm gonna to live tomorrow out of these four rules that we're gonna look at. Let's jump right in. Here's the first rule for living what Solomon would say is a better life. Number one, keep a good name. Number one, keep a good name. Here's what he says, Ecclesiastes chapter seven, verse one. A good name is better than fine perfume and the day of death better than the day of birth. He says a good name is better than fine perfume. What does he mean when he talks about a good name? Well, there's a few things to think about when we, when we talk about this idea of a good name. One, I would encourage you to think about your reputation. That when we talk about this idea of a good name, think about your reputation. Because attached to your name is who you are. When someone hears your name, they think about your reputation. They think about you. And do you have a good name? Think about your reputation. Like, if you've never really thought about this, just imagine, and, and for many of you, you've probably had this opportunity, when you take time to name a new child, like maybe your parents, and you're going to welcome a new child into the world, and you've got to think about what are we going to name this child that God has entrusted to us. And I can remember when Rhonda and I walked through that, there would be times where we would suggest names. And she might suggest a name, and it would remind me of someone I went to high school with. You ever been there? And they're like, what if we named them, you know, I'm not going to mention it because they might be watching, right? You know, but uh, what, what if we named them this? And I'd be like, <laughs> no, no, no. Because I'm not going to think of that person every time I, I, I call for my child, right? Because there's something attached to a name, and so your name is your reputation. Your name is, in so many ways, who you are. And it says here that your name, a good name is like a fine perfume. Why a perfume? Well, because in ancient times, if you were to go to a banquet, one of the things that they would do is as you would walk in, if it was a, a, a gracious host, they would anoint you with a fine perfume. So not only would that kind of be a blessing, but it would also help you to smell better in a crowded room, right? And so as you walked in, it was not only a gracious act, but you brought with yourself the scent that you brought into that room from that fine perfume. When you walk into a room, when you move through your life, your name brings, you, you stink somehow. Do you know what I mean? Right, there's something that comes with that. So what does your life smell like? I mean, Paul actually says that we are the aroma of Christ. So what is it that your life smells like? And can I tell you, be wise in how you handle your reputation. Because you can lose your reputation in a moment. Isn't that true? It just takes one thing, one moment, for your reputation to be lost. Like, I think this is probably a, a dad question, and I'm, I'm looking for an honest show of hands. Um, but but and it might be, might be some of the moms, too, but are there any... There any people in the room that like if you're in a grocery store, you're in a department store, you're out somewhere in public and all of a sudden a certain song comes on that stirs a little something in you, you start singing it out loud even though you're in public. Anybody, you do that? Yeah, I'm like notorious for that. Like we'll be walking through the grocery store and like I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for James Taylor or 80s pop, right? And it comes on and it seems like I can usually like sense in my bones when it's about to be Phil Collins I don't know what it is. I can just like feel it coming in the air tonight, you know? And it's this, you're welcome. 
You're welcome. Like, I get this. And so I start singing it out loud, right? Especially if my kids are there. Yeah. Then I'm really going to sing it out loud. And I was asking Rhonda about this. I said, I do that, don't I? Like, yesterday, I was putting this together. She says, yeah, but that's not the problem. The problem is when you, like, start dancing around and trying to draw attention to yourself. That has never happened. That has never happened. They don't, they don't care as much anymore. Now they just walk away from me. But for a while, Rhonda would look at me, and she'd be like, what are you doing? What if someone from the church is in here? Is this what you want them to see? You know the services go on TV. Is this really what you want people to see, right? Because in that moment, someone can get a reputation for who you are, right? Well, that's not so bad when you're jamming to Phil Collins in the produce section. But it could be bad in the parking lot when a little road rage sets in, right? I was at the corner of Holland, Sylvania and Conant the other day, and the nanosecond that the light turned green, the guy behind me decided to lay on his horn. It was close enough, I almost invited him to come into the church parking lot for a moment. So we kind of talk about it, right? You know, it just stirs up something inside of you. Here's what Solomon says, Ecclesiastes chapter seven, verse nine. Control your temper, for anger labels you a fool. Isn't that an interesting verse? Control your temper, because for anger labels you, it gives you the name of a fool. A good name is like a fine perfume. An angry name makes you a fool. And your reputation can be lost in just a moment. So think about your reputation. Keep a good name, Solomon says. And I think it's not just about your reputation. He, he talks about death here. We'll look about this again in a moment. But you also have to think about your legacy. right? You have to think about the fact that who you are lives on. Your name carries on. People in your family, people in your circle of friends, people that you work with, they will remember you. There's much attached to your name. So you have to think about your legacy. The reality is you have to ask questions like, what will your family say about you when you're gone? And how will others remember you? You know, we celebrate when someone is born, but there's so much more that we wrestle with, that we talk about, that we think about when someone passes away. Your coffin tells a bigger story than your crib. And you have to think about your legacy. For some of you, you may be in your senior years and you're thinking about this maybe a little more than you used to. Like you're asking some of those questions. The reality is you, you probably have maybe some different challenges than you did say 10, 25, 40 years ago. Maybe the temptations are different or the challenges are unique. But you're still wrestling with a lot of the same things. I mean, internally, we're always the same people, and so we wrestle with fear and guilt and doubt and resentment and rejection and disappointment. I challenge you, no matter what season of life you're in, it's not too late for you to say, how do I want to allow the one who can change my life to change my life so that I can allow a legacy of my life to impact other people? Because when you talk about a good name, you don't just think about a reputation, you don't just think about your legacy, you're actually thinking about eternity. Like, I want to challenge you to think about your eternity. Because he says a good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death is better than the day of birth. That's a weird thing to say. 
Except for the reality is that your day of death communicates so much more. And if you read the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament, like if you look back on what Solomon said through what you read about in what Jesus said and is what Paul says and in what the New Testament teaches us, the day of our death is better than the day of our birth because we start to live on earth when we're born, but we start to live forever when we die, right? So there's something to be considered here. So I challenge you to think about your eternity like, are you ready for that day of death? When you think about a good name, do you not only have that good name with the people that know you, but what does God say about you? In fact, does he have your name in, in what the Bible refers to as the Lamb's Book of Life, that, that collection of those who have said yes to Jesus, who have submitted their lives to him as Savior and Lord, because then we have an eternal promise. Here's what Paul wrote, Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. He says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, that will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. He encourages us here. He says, look, the truth is that we have a hope in eternity with Jesus. Have you put your confidence in him? Look, we're gonna cover a lot of other rules, three other things before we get to the end of this message. And at the end of this message, we're gonna pray. And I can tell you that there's no better time than today for you to say, Jesus, I put my hope and my confidence in you. Look, we've already had a time of communion where we've talked about Christ's death on the cross, that he paid the price for your sins and mine, that there's forgiveness available because he's our savior, and there's purpose and hope in life because he's our Lord. And the reality is the best way for you to move towards having a good name, more than your reputation and more than your legacy, it's to secure that your eternity is right with Jesus forever because of the grace that he's given to you. And I honestly believe that even right now, in your seat or at wherever you are listening to this message, you can stop for a moment and say, Jesus, I can't do it on my own anymore. I surrender my life to you. I need things to be right, or once again, I need to make things right with you, because that's the most important decision for your eternity that you could ever make. Rule number one is keep a good name. The second rule comes out of the next three verses, Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verses two through four. Let, let me read them for you. He says this. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Frustration is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. That's a cheery way to start Sunday, isn't it? You gotta remember, he's shooting just nuggets of wisdom here, and there's a lot to pick up. So we're gonna come back and look at that again. Let me give you the second rule that we see here there. Number two, don't waste the hard times. Number two, don't waste the hard times. Much of the, the challenge that people have with the book of Ecclesiastes is there's just places where it's difficult to understand. And this, this might be one of those. Let me read this again from the New Living Translation. It says this, better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. After all, everyone dies, so the living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for sadness has a refining influence on us. A wise person thinks a lot about death while a fool thinks only about having a good time. 
Solomon gets kind of a bad rap for being pretty pessimistic <laughs> because so much of the book of Ecclesiastes has kind of this, this, this almost mourning, grieving, kind of very sorrowful kind of tone to it. But that's not the whole book. In fact, he, he helps us to understand, and we'll see this in a couple of weeks, over and over again, he talks about how we can live a good life. In fact, look at this. A few verses later, chapter 7, verse 14, Solomon says, where times are good, be happy. When times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. He says, look, when times are good, enjoy them. Live it up. Enjoy your family. Enjoy your life. Make the most of the good days. But he says that bad days will also come. And when the bad days come, don't try to fight it. Realize that one comes just as well as the other. So, and this is what he's trying to communicate to us here, don't waste the hard times. When a hard time comes, don't miss what God is trying to work out through that. And he talks here a lot about mourning, verse 2 and 4 in particular. He talks about death, and he talks about mourning. And you wonder, why would he focus on that subject? And in part, this is the reason why. Because dying teaches us how to live. Dying teaches us how to live. Now, that, that can be kind of awkward or difficult to talk about it. But consider this, there's a big difference, he says, and you, you read it in one of these things, that funerals, he says, are better than, than parties. There's a big difference between a funeral and a wedding, isn't there? Isn't there? Like, I know this because I talk at both. And here's how it works. When I talk at a wedding, no one listens. It's worse than Sundays. When I talk at a wedding, no one listens. Because the people that are out there are just wondering, when do we get to eat, right? And the people that are up here, just wonder, when do I get to sit down? And the people that are right here, the couple, they have no idea that anyone else is in the room but the other person, right? So when I talk at weddings, no one listens to a word I say. But at a funeral, everybody listens. Like, a funeral's a totally different thing. Because at a funeral, you're not only kind of grieving and hit by that, but it causes you to be contemplative and think about your own life. Like when you're at a funeral, it causes you to think about your own mortality. It thinks about the brevity of your own life. And when I speak at a funeral, not just the people who know me or say, oh, that's the pastor, but other people who have no clue who I am, they dial into what's being said because there's something different. So Solomon is not saying that you shouldn't go to weddings. He's not saying you shouldn't enjoy weddings. What he's saying is that a funeral has more impact than a wedding does. So don't waste the hard times. Because in those hard times, something significant can happen. Dying teaches us how to live. Like, like we got a cold reminder of that this week. One of Calvary's choice servants, a lady named Ann Badhorn, passed away on Tuesday. She was in her mid-50s just a week or so ago, found out about the cancer diagnosis that she had, and on Tuesday, she passed away. Ann and her family have been around here for about 20 years if you ever came to church at the first service, she stood right over there and probably shook your hand. If you've ever checked your, your child in down in the, in the kids' check-in, she, she probably handed you a tag. And we talked a lot about this this week in light of Ann's passing. We considered the fact that she was loved by so many and how many people her lives touched. It made me and, and others that we talked to think about the fact of what really matters in life, your family, Faithfulness to God and your commitments. Touching other people even in the hard times. I saw Ann about 10 days ago, I suppose, in the hospital. And I remember I walked in the door and she turned her head right away. First words, she looked at me and she says, hey, I'm secure. My hope is in Jesus and I know I'm in his hands. 
I went there to encourage her. She ended up challenging me. Don't waste this. Because dying oftentimes teaches us how to live. Solomon says, don't miss this. He says, don't waste the hard times. There's something I'm trying to work out in your life. And then he says this in verse three. This is, look at this verse because it's interesting. Verse three, Ecclesiastes chapter seven. Frustration is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. You don't expect to see that on a plaque in your living room, do you? Like, that's just kind of, what? It almost seems to contradict something else Solomon said. If you go to the book of Proverbs, Solomon says this, Proverbs 17, 22, he says, a cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Which one is it, Saul, right? Am I supposed to have a cheerful heart or a sad heart? Like, which one is better? And the answer, I think, is yes to both, right? There are times when it's right to have a, a cheerful heart. There's times when the very best medicine for you is to laugh. It's to find some joy. It's to have some fun. But he says, when frustration comes, don't reject it. Don't ignore it. Don't try to just push it away like it's a burden. He says, look, in the midst of that frustration, there's something that is being worked out. Actually, that sad face might be good for your heart. Don't miss this because struggle teaches us how to thrive. When I'm in the midst of struggle, when I'm in the midst of a tough time, when I face a challenge, it works something out. It builds up something in me. If I go to the gym, and you and I are going to work out in the gym, we don't look for the lightest things that we can lift, right? We want to move things that are heavy. We want to do things with some resistance. We want to put some work in, because if I take it easy, I'm actually not building up any strength. It's not until I have to push against something. It's not until I have to stretch myself. It's not until there's some force applied that some strength actually grows inside of me. So like, I don't like the struggle. It's not fun. Frustration is frustrating. But it's in the midst of the struggle that I actually learn how to thrive. But that's not my default mode. My default mode wants easy. But know this, easy is not always better. I like easy. I, I like my microwave society. But life doesn't always work that way. Easy is not always better. And it's good to know th this. Look at this, Ecclesiastes 7, verse 4, the next verse. He says, a wise person thinks a, a lot about death while a fool thinks only about having a good time. Easy is not always better, but know this, fun is not always better. Like, now I'm all for fun. I wanna laugh, I wanna have a good time. It's good to have hobbies, it's good to have friends, it's good to hang out, but you have to ask yourself this question. Am I having fun because it's good for me, or am I having fun because I'm trying to push away the hard times? Am I trying to ignore it? Because so many times I go to the fun thing to fill in the gap or to numb the pain that's in my life. And so sometimes we drink more than we should or we use a substance in some way to make us feel better or we use relationships and maybe even sex to try to fill a void or we let entertainment come into our lives clearly because we're just trying to self-medicate. What Solomon says is when you do those things, you're missing out on what God is trying to do in your life, that he's working something out through this difficulty. So please, don't waste the hard times. Look, the reality is some of you may be in a hard time right now. Can I give you two passages of scripture? You might want to write these down. This is some ammunition that you might be able to use when you face these hard times. Romans chapter 5, verse 3, Paul says this, not only so... But we also glory in our sufferings, 
Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given to us. Even in your suffering, realize that you are moving towards hope. He says this in James chapter one, verse two. Consider it pure joys, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Isn't that counterintuitive? You want me to do what? But here, listen to what he says. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. My encouragement to you is this. Do not run from the hard times. Just because they come your way doesn't mean that you're doing something wrong. It doesn't mean that the end is there. What it means is that you're alive And then in the midst of that, God can work something out even in the midst of that hard time. About a year or so ago, Ron and I were out of town and we walked into this store. Real big on the wall, it had this this poem that was on the wall. I'd never seen it before, but I read it and I just thought, man, that really encouraged me when I read it. And They had a print in the store of that poem. And so we, we bought the print. And a little while later, I, we have a little office in, in our basement, and a little while later, I walked in my office one day, and this was sitting there. Ron had put it in a frame. And so it sits right in front of me in my office, and it reads this. Good timber does not grow with ease. The stronger wind, the stronger trees. The further the sky, the greater length. The more the storms, the more the strength. By sun and cold, rain and snow, in trees and men, good timbers grow. That's a good word, isn't it? It's not in the easy times. It's in the tough times that we are strengthened, that we develop, and that we grow. Hard times with deep roots make stronger souls. Please, don't waste your hard times. And earlier in this week, like, when I was thinking about this, I felt like the Holy Spirit just kind of put in my heart some of you. Like, I don't know who. You, you might be sitting here in, in this room. You might be in auditorium, too. You might be watching this on a screen. And I, and I felt like the Holy Spirit wanted to encourage some of you, not just with a word of encouragement, but actually with affirmation that you needed somebody to look you in the eye, to speak into your life and say to you, you're doing a good job. Like you're not perfect and things are hard, but you're doing a good job. And even though you don't see it right now, you're not sure how it's gonna work out, some of you need to hear that even in this hard time, it's gonna be all right. Like that God has you. He's with you in the midst of this hard time. He's working something out in you, even through your struggles, and it's gonna be all right. You know that the message of scripture so many times are words that are being written to people who are in the midst of struggles? That's why Paul said that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. That's why John said when he wrote his epistle that the Father is actually lavishing his love on you. That's why Peter said that when you go through struggles, you look to God because he's working it out and in the end you're gonna be all right. See, Abraham knew him as the God who provides and Moses knew him as the God who heals. Daniel saw him as the God who protects and David said he's the God who gives me victory. 
And you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. So even in the midst of where you are, it's good for you to know it's a hard time, but you're gonna be all right. You're doing a good job. You hang in there because he's right there with you. And before we even take a moment to look at any of these other rules, can we stop and pray? I mean, can you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? And look, this isn't for me, this is for you and this is for God. If you would just say, God, I'm in a hard time right now. And I need to put my trust in you. If that's you, would you just raise your hand, put it right back down. Just say, God, I'm in a hard time right now. Father, I thank you for your word that reminds us page after page after page after page, story after story after story, that you are the God who's there with people in the hard times. And you've promised us that you're making us stronger, that you're working something out in our lives, and that when we trust you, it's gonna be all right. Even in the midst of the struggle, you're, you're teaching us to thrive. Even in the midst of the heartache, God, you're helping us to see how to live. Lord, may we not waste or run from the hard times, but may we instead run to you and put our trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Rule number one, keep a good name. Rule number two, don't waste the hard times. Here's the third one, number three that we look at here. Rule number three, stay teachable. Number three, stay teachable. Here's what he says, Proverbs chapter seven, verse five. It is better to heed the rebuke of a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. Like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This too is meaningless. Interesting phrase there. He says, it is better to heed the rebuke of a wise person. Heeding the rebuke of a wise person is more than just keeping an open mind, right? Because you can say, oh, I'm very open-minded, and I listen to other people. I have this tendency to be very open-minded, and then as soon as I don't like what you say, I close it. Anybody else? Right? Teachable is something different, right? It's hearing what's said. It's pulling out the truth. It's applying it to your life. And he tells us here that it's better to heed the rebuke of a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. I had to ask the question, what keeps me from being teachable, right? Because I want to be, I don't want to be stuck in my ways. I don't want to be cruel. I don't, I don't want to be prideful. I don't want to be bitter. I want to be open. I want to be teachable. But there's things that sometimes keep me from being teachable. Two things that I kind of see in, in my own life. Here's one, Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse 13. If you rewind a couple of chapters, Solomon says this, better a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer knows how to heed a warning. An old but foolish king who no longer knows how to heed a warning. See, what happens is sometimes we get comfortable. We think we have what we need. We think we know what we're doing. We think we have certain things and even authority in our lives, and as a result, then we sometimes push wisdom away, and we have to be careful because personal pride can keep us from being teachable. Our personal pride, thinking that we know everything, can keep us from being teachable. There's a danger that can come actually with, with age or with experience. Actually, it doesn't matter what your age is. But when you start to think you know everything, it puts you in a really dangerous spot, true? Look, do not let your knowledge 
keep you from wisdom. Do not let your knowledge keep you from wisdom. Don't think that you know everything to the point that it causes you to not be wise. If you just want a reminder of this, there were some headlines this week, both in kind of the Christian world as well as in pop culture that were kind of interesting reminders of this. Earlier this week, there was a very prominent evangelical pastor who spoke out against a very prominent evangelical female minister. So a male minister spoke out against a female minister. Did anybody see this? It was, really, it was really kind of messy to see the whole thing. The saddest part was because this guy thought he had all the answers and he spoke definitively about it for a lot of other people. It hurt his reputation. It changed how people think about his name. All because he felt like he was so sure about what he was saying. And then also, kind of later in the week, you've, you've got this very secular rapper who has come out with a very Christian album. Has anybody seen anything about this? So you've got this in there, and there's a whole lot of people who are like, well, is this guy a Christian or is he not? Because his music sounds like he's a Christian, but he hasn't sure acted like a Christian. Maybe there's the opportunity that Christ actually changed him. Does that make sense? But there's a whole lot of people who are like, no, 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 that can't happen because I know how things are supposed to go. Here's what I've found. When I'm too quick to say I know what I'm doing, it usually keeps me from being wise. <laughs> so I have to be careful that personal pride does not keep me from being teachable. The other side of this is you have to be careful because the wrong people can keep us from being teachable. When you get advice from the wrong people, when you listen to the wrong people, it can keep you from being teachable. There's a story in 1 Kings chapter 12. Watch this, because Solomon writes these words of wisdom, right, about being careful who you listen to. Don't listen to the fools, listen to the wise. Be teachable. And then a generation later, there's his son, whose name is Rehoboam. Solomon dies, Rehoboam becomes the king. Now Solomon built this incredible kingdom, but it also meant he really taxed his his subjects. So after Solomon dies, the people come to Rehoboam, the new king, and they say, look, your father put a heavy burden on us. How about you lift the taxes a little bit? Like, we're doing really well as a nation. You really don't need all this. What if you just give us a break? Rehoboam says, give me three days, and then I'll give you an answer. And so he calls in his father's advisors, the the wise men who had served his father. He says, what do you think about this? And they said, actually, it's a really good idea. They're not wrong about being overtaxed. They're not wrong about the burden and actually would endear you to them if you would be gracious to them in this way. We would encourage you to do it. And then he started talking with with his posse, right, the people he'd grown up with. And he called his, his boys together and he says, fellas, what do you think I should do? And they said, we'll tell you what we think you should do. We think you should go back to those people and say, if you thought my dad was tough, wait till you meet me. If you thought my dad put a burden on you, if you thought he beat you with whips, I'm gonna whip you with scorpions. I'll show you who's tougher. My dad was nothing compared to me. He liked the way that made him feel. And so he went back to the people and said, if you thought my dad was tough, just wait till you see me. And you know what? 10 twelfths of the nation, 10 of the tribes, 12 tribes said, no thanks, we're leaving and they seceded from the nation. That's why in the Old Testament, you speak at times about Israel and at times about Judah. That was the beginning of that rift because Rehoboam was not teachable enough to realize that there was wisdom that he should have listened to. Instead, he listened to the fools. You have to be careful who you listen to, don't you? Let me give you a little insight here to this. Do not let your wisdom come from fools. How do I know if it is? Well, if the advice makes you prideful, it's probably not wisdom. 
If it's focusing on building you up, if it makes you prideful, it's probably not wisdom. And if the advice puts others down, if it demeans other people, it's probably not wisdom. That's the advice Rehoboam got, and it pretty much wrecked the kingdom. So a good word there from from Solomon. He tells us to keep a good name. He tells us to make the most, don't waste the hard times. He encourages us to stay teachable. And fourth thing, last rule for a better life, number four, Live with the end in mind. So many times we get so wrapped up in the present, in the moment, in in what we're experiencing right now, and we fail to see that there's more to the story. Solomon encourages us to live with the end in mind. Ecclesiastes chapter seven, verse eight, he says this. The end of a matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. The end of a matter is better than the beginning, and patience is better than pride. If you take some time and really think about what he's saying there, there's some attitudes that if you're not careful, they'll be destructive in your life. In fact, there's, there's three attitudes that are fatal to your future that are outlined there in that passage. Can I hit them real quick? Three attitudes that are fatal to your future that he hits in this passage. The first one is pessimism, right? We have a tendency sometimes to just look at something and go, well, that's not gonna work out. That's why he has to say, look, the end of a matter is better than the beginning, Because the reality is, so many of us, we're quick to start, but we have a hard time finishing, right? It's somewhere in the middle. It's somewhere in the tough times. It's somewhere where it's difficult that we say, well, this is never going to work out or that's never going to happen, and we give up way too quick because the spirit of pessimism, an attitude of pessimism, is what we allow to drive us in those times. And he's saying, look, you need to keep the end in mind. You need to not give up too soon. I've found that it's usually in the moments when I'm most tempted to give up. It's usually in those moments that I'm closest to the breakthrough. Anybody else? It's usually when it's the toughest as I'm moving uphill, just before I get to the part where I, where I cross over to the other side. And so I've got to be careful. Don't say it's over until it's done. Look, you, you need to keep in mind that the end is better than the beginning. So don't give up before you get there. Don't let pessimism be an attitude that's fatal to your future. The second attitude that he mentions is nostalgia. That nostalgia is an attitude that can be fatal to your future. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 10 says this. Do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it's not wise to ask such questions. Why were the old days better than these? You ever said that? Do you know why when I'm walking through the grocery store, songs from the 80s come on, I start singing them? Because that was a good time in my life. Actually, a lot of times it takes me back. I I worked some summer and Christmas break jobs as a janitor at a local high school. And I can remember being in long corridors all by myself and the other guys that I worked with would be pumping songs from the 80s and 90s, just moving, blasting them through the whole school. And I can remember just, you know, just standing there in that hallway, just mopping all by myself, just me and Phil Collins, right? (laughs) See, do you know why it kind of gets me when I hear those songs? Because I go back to those days. You know why? Because those were really good days. Those were fun days. Those were exciting days. Those were college days. Those were days when Rhonda and I were planning a wedding together. We are planning our future together. When I go back, those songs make me nostalgic because that was a really special time in my life. Anybody else got songs like that? Like, that's cool. Anybody else got moments, things that take you back to a place? Look, treasure your memories and reflect on God's goodness. Like, that's a good thing to do. It's a healthy thing to do. You treasure those memories. You reflect on God's goodness. I know it sounds crazy, 
But when I hear those songs, I think of God's goodness to me in my life because it reminds me of seasons where I saw his faithfulness and where I remembered his presence and the way that he directed our steps. It's okay to do that, but don't say that those days were better. Like, don't get stuck in a place where you're so stuck in the past that you give up on the future. Don't think that there's no hope that's ahead because you loved so much that was behind. Look, I hope that you'll get this. May our memories never be greater than our dreams. May our memories never be greater than our dreams. You know where I've seen that be the most fatal? Actually, is in churches. So many churches have looked back and go, man, what God did in 19 whatever, what God did in 2000 whatever, man, wasn't that a good thing? I don't ever want to look back and say, wasn't that great with no hope for the future? I don't ever want my memories to be greater than my dreams. Does that make sense? Anybody here? Right, so whether that's in your family or whether that's in your personal life, like don't look back and go, that was so good that I don't have any hope for the future. Don't look back and go, I wish I was there when actually God may have you looking towards heaven. He may have you looking towards tomorrow. He may have you looking to the impact you can make in somebody else's life. Don't ever let your memories be greater than your dreams. Right, as a church, even as we go into this next year, we're gonna be dreaming some big dreams. God has some things in store for us and I don't wanna miss it because I'm anchored in the past. I wanna say, God, I'm open to that. Because unhealthy nostalgia is an attitude that will be fatal to your future. One last one that he gives, Ecclesiastes chapter seven, verse eight. He says, the end of a matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. Anybody else get nervous anytime patience is in a Bible verse? Right, I read it and I'm like, oh, I don't do so good with patience. I live in a, a microwave, same-day shipping society. I don't, I don't like it. And the reality is one of the attitudes that will be fatal to your future is impatience. Like if you try to rush things, if you try to move too fast, if you try to do it on your time instead of God's time, patience is a tough one because I want answers today, but the reality is today might not be the day for the answer. Right, oftentimes I think, hey, if God's in this thing, he's gonna answer me right away, but I have to live with the end in mind and realize that I need to be patient and let him work it out. Today might not be the day for the answer. Here's the reason why. Sometimes the answer might not be ready for me today. Like God has an answer, but I don't want what I would get today because it's not ready. It's not what he has in store. Sometimes the answer is not ready for me today. And then I hate to say this, but sometimes I'm not ready for the answer. <laughs> like sometimes God's got to work something out in my life. I may have to go through a hard time before I'm the person I need to be so I can handle that blessing from God in my life. So I have to be careful that I don't get impatient because impatience will cause me to derail it. It will cause me to miss out. It'll cause me to jump too quick. I have to remember the end is better than the beginning and patience is better than pride. You might want to move fast, but faster is not always better. Sometimes I've got to say, God, I trust you. It's better to take the long view and say, God, I put this in your hands. If, if you walk out of here with anything today, when we talk about a good name, when we talk about hard times, when we talk about being teachable, when we talk about living with the end in mind, it is better to trust God. If you wanna live a better life, I can sum it up in two words. Trust God. God, my life's yours. I put it in your hands.
So my challenge to you is to think about those four rules that Solomon gave to us here in the beginning of chapter seven. Is there one that kind of fits where, where you're at right now, in your life, in your family, in, in the place where you're at? Are you, is, is it wise for you to think about your reputation and your legacy? Is it a good time for you to go, God, help me not to waste this hard time? Is it a moment where you're looking at, at maybe who's, who's talking to you or the pride even in your own life and you need to say, God, help me to be teachable? Or maybe it, there's some impatience or nostalgia or even there's this, there's this attitude of pessimism that you just need to say today, God, I, I trust you with the long game. God, I trust you. And I would encourage you not only to identify that area today, but that you would then say, okay, God, I'm gonna pray in just a moment. During that prayer time, I would encourage you to say, okay, God, here's what I'm gonna do about that. And maybe you, you, you think about a scripture, maybe one we read today, maybe that you know, maybe a promise from God somehow that you're gonna hang on to. I can tell you very candidly, when some of these rules apply to situations in my life, I have a passage of scripture that I go back to over and over again. I think I've shared this before, but I go back to it so many times. It's Psalm 37, and I go back to it so many times that when we were doing the renovation about a year and a half ago of the, the new kids area down here, we added some more offices and when the room that's gonna be my office was being built, I went in there when the subfloor was down, but before they put the flooring down, then I wrote that right where my, where my chair's gonna go, Psalm 37, I wrote that down there. I don't always stand on the promises of God, but I sit on them a lot. <laughs> Psalm 37, verse three. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he'll do this. He'll make your righteous reward shine like the dawn and your vindication like the noonday sun. He didn't say it would happen right away because right now it may be a pretty dark time for you. But someday your reward's gonna shine like the dawn. Someday your vindication like the noonday sun. Someday if you'll trust him with the long game, patience instead of pride, you can believe he's gonna work it out and you're gonna be all right. So would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes for just a moment? And look, today I'm, I'm not gonna ask you to stand or raise a hand or walk to the front. I'm just gonna ask whether you're watching this on a screen or you're sitting in Auditorium 2 or you're right here in Auditorium 1, would you just take a moment and say, God, what, what was in this for me today? Lord, how do I not just hear it, but hear it and respond? God, what needs to be different in my life because of your word today? Lord, would you help me to have a good name? Not so much based on who I am, but God, on who you are. Lord, would you help me to not run or waste this hard time, but to trust in you, Father, would you help me to be teachable? If there's places where I need to surrender my pride or be careful who I'm listening to, God, may I find wisdom from you. And Lord, there's moments where I'm impatient or nostalgic or pessimistic to the point that I'm missing out on what you want to do in the future. God, help me to see the long game here. Help me to trust you and live with the end in mind. God, your word is so good. Lord, your gracious love for us is so good that you speak to us 
in clear and yet gentle ways and encourage us to put our trust in you. And so today, Father, as a church and as individuals, Lord, we trust you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, God bless you. Thanks for being here today. Have a great week. Go in his special favor and his wonderful peace. We'll see you next Sunday.